0: good morning, Grace. I want you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five. And while you're turning there, let me just really quick say, if you are here and you are a college student, it is so cool to have you part of of our our church family. And we've got something really cool. If you're a college student, I wanna invite you, if you haven't already, stop by the Next Steps wall. Stop by the Next Steps wall after the service. Give them your name, the school you attend, and contact info, whether it be, I don't know if you like to text, maybe that's better, or you like to email. We have a uh, a survival, college survival guide that we're going to give you. Uh, we're going to fly your mom. At, no, I'm teasing. Uh, no, but we do have uh, a really cool gift. And, and man, we just want to connect because we love what uh, God is doing through you. It's, it's just an honor to have you here, so college students do that. Now, I also have to say this before we dive in this morning. I love having kids part of the service, and uh, and, and so, man, we always value that. But I just want parents, I always want you to know when I'm going to hit something that might be a little whatever, this is going to be that day. Uh, we're, we're continuing our series on relationships. Relationships, And God's just laid on me over the next couple of weeks, we need to hit what we find here in Ephesians chapter 5. We're not going to dodge the tough stuff. Uh, and so if you, you know, we're going to be talking about uh, sexual sin, marriage, uh, that sort of thing. And if, if you think your kids, well, I'm not going to be graphic or anything like that, but if you think your kids might be too young for that, I totally get, if you want to check them in to Grace Kids, I just want to make sure that I give you fair warning. But as we dive in, I just want to open uh, this time with a word of prayer, and then let's see what God has for us today. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come together, and I love what takes place when your family gets in one place. And God, we know the church is not a building. We, as your people, are the church, but there's something powerful when your church is together. We, the, man, we worship together together uh, we mutually encourage one another and God I believe that that we're convicted and challenged and and we grow together and I just pray that's what takes place and God you know that what I'm going to be talking about uh, you know I know that the accuser Satan wants to condemn us especially if there are things in our past that we regret And I'm praying that what takes place in the time that we have is that there would be no ground given to the accuser and his condemnation. But Father, instead, there would be ground given and and open ears to the Holy Spirit and his conviction. I pray that you would convict us of sin, righteousness, and the judgment. And I pray that that we would respond to that truth, committed to be your people, your holy people. So God, for what you're going to do together with us this time, uh, I just want to thank you in advance, because we're expecting you to move, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, just to give you a little heads up, we've been in, in Ephesians, uh, specifically, uh, we're working Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 in this series, uh, looking at godly relationships and all of that. And, and if, you would, if you would have lived in Ephesus, you, you would get why the book of Ephesians almost seems like it's written to us today. In fact, it's it's been said that the the letter of Ephesians is is one of the most culturally practical of all the letters. And there's a reason why. Because Ephesus, the culture, it it would be very similar to what we see here in America. Ephesus was a very, very important trade city, cultural city in the Roman Empire, a very large city, um, very sensual. The culture, very sensual. For a variety of reasons, well, one, one thing, uh, like right in the main part of town, this would have been shortly after Paul started the church and and actually had left on another missionary journey. I mean, they would they had a large brothel that was right there. Prostitute, prostitution was part of this, and the Ro, the Romans had their own moral code. It, it, it was a little more restrictive on on uh, when it came to women and more permissive permissive for guys. Just to be honest with you, and, and so they they had they had. T- temple there that was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was the temple of the goddess Artemis or in axe she's referred to as Diana. And even part of the temple ritual would be uh, just, man, I don't know how to put it, it was just a sexual ritual that was part of, of worship. It was a very, very uh, ungodly city in many ways. And, and, and the church that Paul is writing to here lived within the shadow of this temple. And, and, and so when he wrote this, he's, he's not just writing to Jews, but, but I, I, wanna, I want you to understand this. If you look at the greeting in, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, it's very clear that he's writing to believers. But it's, but it's a, a diverse group of believers, older believers some of them are Jews. Some of them have just recently been saved out of paganism, out of worshiping the goddess Diana. Uh, they, they don't know a lot of these things. And I love what, what the apostle Paul does. He, he begins the first three, cha- three chapters of, of, of Ephesians. He just talks about the basics of the gospel. Here's who Christ is. Here's, why Christ, here's what Christ did. Here's why it matters, and if you've been saved by grace through faith, he spends, man, I love Ephesians 2, 1 through 9 especially. Those verses just break down the gospel in a beautiful way. He, he says, if, if you believe this is who you are, and he talks about our identity. In fact, if you struggle with, with identity, who am I? You know, now... If, is there any difference between who I am as a Christian prior, you know, or who I was prior to meeting Christ? Man, look at Ephesians chapter 1, the first part of, of 2. He lets us see who we are in Christ. He uses that phrase in Christ time and time and time again to describe who we are. But then he, he ties the first three chapters, which are right belief. He ties them to chapters 4 through 6, which is right application, so you, have, so you have right belief, and then he, he ties them with this little conjunction, therefore, to right living. He's like, if, if we believe this, here are the implications. Here's, here's how we walk. Here's how we live. And so in chapter 4, he, he, he started off. And in fact, last week, uh, Jason hit that. He starts off in, in chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And, and Jason, Pastor Jason did a great job unpacking chapter 4. As you get into to, to chapter 5, you're going to notice there at the beginning of chapter 5, you're going to see that, that conjunction, therefore, it's, it's there again. He's tying right belief to right action. And, and it's so interesting that he takes right doctrine, and, and he says it's lived out in relationships, like all of his examples, almost all of his examples have to do with this faith being lived out in the context of relationships. And I just want to say something, this is free. Like, all right? take a second offering, all right? That was a joke. Um, <laughs> you're like, are they, you guys like take multiple offerings? No, we don't. Um, a faith and belief system that does not impact your daily walk and does not impact the way you live in relationship with other people is not real faith. Flat out, it it just isn't. It's it's just like you taking on a a title, You're, you're something in name only, you're not really that thing. Faith impacts practically how we live and how we interact with other people. And so, so what I want to do is, oh, this week and next week, because, man, we, we got into our Tuesday morning uh, sermon prep meeting, and, man, we were going through this, and we're like, there is absolutely no way we're getting all of this into one message. So we're, we're going to have two, two uh, messages where we're just going to talk about the awkward stuff. I say awkward. Honestly, I'm kind of excited to talk about it, because I, I think a lot of times we just kind of skip over this. This is the part of the Bible's like... Yeah, well, there might be kids. So we're not going to talk about that. We're just going to, we're going to talk about it. And, and I, I think it's really necessary for us because there's some things that God wants us to hear, but, but I'm not going to be able to, to put it all in one message. And so right now you've got a message guide. And so I'm, I'm doing this for you type A people out there. I may not get to the place where we fill in every blank today. Forgive me in advance. I'm just going to tell you, I might, well, I don't know, I might. I know for sure that there was no way we could get the six responses to the question that we're going to be asking. The question is this, why do Christians live righteously and love sacrificially? That's the question we're going to look at. Why do Christians live righteously and love sacrificially? And there, there are going to be six answers that, that we're going to look for over the, over the next little bit. Um, the, you know, the, the first thing that I think is really important that, that we, we've got to understand, not, before I answer that, let me just tell you for sure what it's not. It's not because of moralism. Now listen, I'm, I am all for morality, and every son and daughter of Christ is a moral person. But moralism is when we put our, our confidence, it's a belief system in which we put our, our confidence in doing moral things, and that's, that's how... We're pleasing to God. Actually, that, that flies in the face of the gospel, because what the, what the gospel uh, what the gospel tells us is that our walk and our behavior is going to be changed because we've been changed. For instance, how many of you are breathing right now? Like, if you didn't raise your hand, I want medics. Uh, we got them standing by. No, you don't. You don't think about the fact that you're breathing because you just breathing. You're breathing because you're alive. Like there's some things that just, that just go, go together. And, and I think when we move past this, hey, I've got, I've got to make God happy and maybe he'll accept me because all these good things I'm doing. We, we actually need to leave that kind of, of wrong thinking behind because we, we just have to grasp that God's righteousness is not given to us as a reward, a payment for what we've earned. God's righteousness is given to us as a gift. It's, it's a gift that, that we cannot, cannot earn. And, and so what, what happens is, is we're just changed from this to that. We change because we've been changed. Now, here in in chapter 5, here's what we read in in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And I'm going to pause there and give you the first two quickly, and then we're going to spend more time on the third response to this. The the, the first reason why a follower of Christ lives righteously and loves sacrificially is, is first of all, it's because we want to be like our Father. We, we want to be, be like our, our father. Like when, when my, well, actually, let, let me use this as an example. When the, the church that I grew up in, the, the pastor of our church, Mark Mowry, is a guy that has deeply impacted my life. When I think of, man, what does a, a great pastor look like? I was blessed to have one of the best and he's he just set the example for me. But but when we were kids, our, our families were close. And, and so sometimes we would go over to his house after service and, and hang out. And so while the adults are in the other room eating the kids, we'd go in the back and we would play church. And And I don't know how, but always... I I was the preacher because my big mouth probably and so okay Keith you got to stand up in front and so Jody which was about it was uh, his, our pastor's daughter about my age she she would say hey wait a second and she would run into her dad's closet and get one of his suits and I would put on his suit now um, brother Maury if you're watching this uh, no disrespect meant. He was deep and wide, and I don't know how else to put that, but I could swim and run laps. You could house missionaries on furlough in, in his suit that he gave me. And, and so I, I would just be, you know, I, I would have this big old suit hanging off me, and, and I was a preacher because I was wearing the preacher's suit. Well, what we know is that, that a, a preacher's clothing doesn't make a guy a preacher at, at all. And so it's not that I'm saying imitate God uh, by, you know, looking, looking at this godly presence saying, I, you know, probably the way, I'm gonna live exactly like them. Now, I, I think there are many saints that are worthy of imitation, don't get me wrong. But when we're talking about imitate God, it's more like my kids. Like when my kids were younger, especially my sons, Trey and Cole, if you would ask them what they wanted to be when they grew up, there were times when they would say, I wanna be, and it'd be whatever I was doing at the time. Whatever my job was, they're like, I wanna be that. And they did that, and, and I was honored by that, just because they loved their dad, and they respected their dad, and that was their standard. They're like, I wanna be like him. Now, they don't wanna be like me anymore. I don't know why, I've never really heard about that, but uh, I, I think that same thing is, is true. This, this whole thing that we have to grasp is, is we don't just look at the things of God and say, oh, I'm gonna try to be godly. No, no, we have to understand this incredible truth. Imitation begins with Transformation. We can only imitate God as, we, as we've been transformed. And church, this is the crazy thing. The Holy Spirit has been given us. It's not just that we are forgiven of our sins when we come to Christ, when we believe in, in Christ's work on the cross. And we stop, we stop believing. When we repent, when we turn, we, it's not just that we're forgiven, we're literally transformed. And then He calls us His son and daughter. And he calls us saints, and, and then he gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just, doesn't just stop short of just saying, well, you're positionally holy. He goes about practically changing our character, making us holy. We just came through a whole series called The, the Fruit of the Spirit in which we looked at what the Holy Spirit does in doing this. And so, so this, this whole thing, it, it transforms us. And, and, if you're a newer believer, maybe this is a new area because it's not just you've been forgiven. You probably didn't even think about that you're changed. And now you're starting to ask questions, huh? Does, does my life fit with, with what God has for me? And maybe there are times you're even tempted to beat yourself up because the Holy Spirit is giving you light. And he's saying, here's what I have for you. And you're asking questions. You know, how does God feel about this? What, what does this look like? How does he feel about this show? What's he think about this joke? Literally, our lives, we don't just live thoughtlessly. All of a sudden, there are these, these prompts. Can I tell you that when you have those prompts, that is not That is not. God saying, oh, you're a terrible person, so I guess you're not good enough. Let's just clean you, know, clean you out. No, don't get discouraged when that happens. Be encouraged. That's the Holy Spirit. He's actually wanting to change you. He's saying, hey, let me point out something because this is, he, man, every good coach works with his players on identifying the areas in which they need to work. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He, he, it's not just that he's pointing it out. He goes about making what he's pointing out possible. Oh, I love this. So, so question, you know, why? Why do Christ followers... Live righteously, love sacrificial. Well, first of all, there's a desire because I want to be like my my dad, my father. But then the, the second ask, the second reason is this, because honestly, this is how Jesus loved us. That's what that's what he says. Walk in love. How? He gives us example. It's not just don't just walk in love. He says walk in love as or like, like Jesus loved us as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now I want to say this. If you're here today and you're like, well, you know, I just struggle with this whole thing of being loved. I think I'm unlovable. And by the way, I'm not being sarcastic when I say that. There are times in which maybe it's because of our failures, we look at what we've done, or we look at a current relational situation in which there's conflict or whatever, or maybe you've gone through the pain, maybe a divorce, whatever. If you're ever tempted to think that you're unlovable, first of all, you're not. I I can tell you that for a fact. Listen, no one has loved you like Christ has loved you. If you ever find yourself struggling with this whole thing, Man, go to the gospels, go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and every example that you see of Jesus loving, underline that and, and, and just ask yourself, what does this say about how Christ loves? Because the, the way he's responding in that situation is the way that, that, that he still responds to his sons and his daughters. Now, th- th- this is very important because what I'm gonna be talking about here over the, over the next little bit, I, I just wanna be, be really clear. I'm gonna add this caveat because I, I, I'm gonna hit some sensitive things from time to time. I am not, I'm speaking to believers. I'm not speaking to unbelievers, okay? Now, now first of all, when I talk about Christ-loving, Christ Christ loves all of us. But there's there's this incredible connection that you've got to know there's absolutely, as a son or daughter of God, there's absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's, That's what Paul writes in Romans 8. It's beautiful, and, and, and there are going to be things that I say today that, that you're going to wrestle with. And so, first of all, if when I talk about things that you might struggle with, that you're actually kind of like, I don't know if I agree with that. And you're not a believer. And actually, you kind of get mad. And you're like, dude, what is his deal? Understand, don't, if you get mad, that's on you because I'm not talking to you. I do not expect uh, unbelievers to act and, and have and live up to the standard that God's given us. I just don't, I believe in, in a community morality where we live together and we serve together for the good of the community, but you've gotta understand, when I'm gonna talk about some of the hard things today, man, I'm talking about God's standard for his kids. And so like, if you're a believer and you get ticked at me, good. Actually, no, not good. Don't get ticked to me. Get, you know, wrestle with the word, wrestle with the word. I just want to make sure that, that we grasp this because we, we've got to grasp that, that what God, God, God wants things for us. He doesn't just want to take things from us. He loves you. Think about how he loved uh, the woman caught in adultery, which I think is so interesting that they brought the lady and not the guy. Isn't that great? Like, come on, takes two, takes two. But yeah, they're getting ready to stone this lady. And, and you know, John 8, he, Jesus steps in and he speaks to this lady caught in kind of adultery like I would speak to my daughter, Cassidy. He speaks to her, man, with compassion, with love. He speaks to her very truthfully. He challenges her, go and sin no more. But, but, but he offers her her grace. You wanna see Christ's love in action? I, man, think about uh, John, like one of the first verses I memorized when I was a kid. John eleven thirty five. I can still quote it, Jesus wept. Great, man, my memory is amazing. (laughs) Like right there, steel trap. No, it's it's from the account of of Jesus' buddy, his friend, Lazarus dying. He shows up and and when Mary and Martha come out to him and and literally, man, they're like, if you would've been here, this wouldn't have happened. When he sees their grief, it says that Jesus weeps. Why did Jesus cry? Listen, Jesus knew what was getting ready to go down. He knew that Lazarus was getting ready to walk out too. It was, he, he was not crying because, oh, I've lost Lazarus. So I'm not going to see. No, he wept because he loved Mary and Martha. Their grief, it, he, he's moved with what, with what moves us. There are times, sons and daughters of God, that when you cry, you think you're weeping alone. You're never weeping alone. Jesus still weeps. Man, think about Peter, man, denied him, denied Christ three times. And what does he do? He goes back. Peter's gone back to where he ran from God. He goes back, meets him where he's fishing. He's gone back to his old life and he calls him back and he affirms him three times. It's almost like deny, affirm, deny, let me affirm, deny, affirm. He completely forgave him. The cross. Listen, my, my whole point is this. When he when, when says walk in love as Christ loved us, you, we, we've got to look at Christ, uh, how Christ loved. And, and what I love about the gospels, man, it's, it's this tender love that just jumps off the pages of the gospel. You can't miss it. And so, so when we love and we serve and we live and we walk in this love, it's not I, I've got to do this to make God happy. No, it's, it's something that, that comes from being loved. We we love because we've been loved. Listen, I'm gonna tell you right now, a person who has not been loved struggles to express love. That's that's why John says in 1 John, he's like, man, it's impossible for you to hate your brother and love God at the same time. You just can't can't do the the two. That's why we're we're commanded to forgive. You're like, well, you don't know what they did. No, he didn't say, no, we can hate the sin. We don't have to acknowledge. Listen, it, it takes two to reconcile. It requires the repentance of the wrongdoing. But when it comes to forgiveness, it takes one because we don't we don't forgive the other person as much as we re- forgiveness is us releasing that to God. It's vertical, not hor- before it's horizontal. And, and so we we love, we we live righteously. We love sacrificially because we want to be like Dad, and be like our Father, and but but also because that's how Christ loved us. But 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 He says it's, it's like this this fragrant offering, which means that that I I don't know, man. Smells matter to God. Did you know that in the Old Testament there were offerings, and it specifically talks about them being sweet smelling different grain offerings. There were different uh, uh, oils and that sort of thing that were involved in this to make it smell good. And you're like, what? Why does it even matter? Trust me, you're the one that doesn't wear deodorant. We get, okay? It smells matter to God. I'm just telling you. I remember a few years ago, we used to take our, we would ha- host our youth group up at the property we used to own up in Smiths Ferry, and it was there were no shower facilities or anything like that, and so for four days we lived in cans, in, in tents, and and we camped out together, staff and students. 95 degree weather, yeah, all kinds of. Hot, sweaty activities running all over the place. I'm gonna tell you right now, that bus trip home from the camp, <laughs> you need to praise the Lord for bus drivers that can put up with that. I and mean, our kids would get home and one of the first things that Lori'd have them do is go to the shower. And I was very, very thankful for axe body spray or whatever my kids were my, my son was using at the time. Thank God for soap. That sweet smell is a beautiful thing. There's something beautiful when we love. It's like the grain offering that was offered, the the oil. It literally is a sweet smell to God. You either smell good spiritually or you don't. That's that's a whole other series I'm going into. I'm going to work on that. But you know, it doesn't stop here. Paul doesn't stop here. He says this in Ephesians 3. I'm sorry, uh, 5 verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Catch this as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this: that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, or who is covetous—that is, an adulterer—has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, pause here. Um, following Christ, our faith, right living. I, I'm sorry, right, right belief will impact our walk and our talk. And I'm not gonna be able to get into all this, but, but here's what I'll say, because I'm, I'm just gonna spend the rest of the time we're gonna break, break this down, and however far I get, great. But um, I, I wanna make sure that, that we grasp some things. And what I'm getting ready to share, if you are a new believer, remember, I'm not talking to unbelievers, I'm talking to believers. If you are a young believer maybe you weren't raised in the church. You you don't, you haven't had a lot of people speak in your life. What I'm getting ready to share might, it might be the first time you've ever heard this. Okay. And so I want to come back to what I said, even what I prayed. I do not want Satan, the accuser to, as I'm speaking, your mind immediately go to your past and you say, well, that's who I used to be. And he's like yeah that's what you did normally when when satan accuses it's the accusations that sting the worst are the ones that we know are true it's the inference though that's false the inference is because of what you did that's always who you're going to be that's not true if you're a son or daughter of christ here's what you can know you are forgiven you have meant your sins have been covered by the blood he makes a choice not to remember them against you. It's not that God is forgetful. It's not that God, uh, you know, has has issues with his memory. He makes a choice not to remember them against you. If Satan's trying to take you back or or anytime you're you're tempted to go back, that is not God. If you have been saved, anytime that that, that you feel this, the Holy Spirit wants to take us forward. It's accuser wants to take us back. Okay, so if you're a believer of of Christ, when I bring this up, if the accuser wants to take you back, I want you to bring up Christ's work because your belief and your confidence comes not from what you did or what you're doing. Your confidence comes from the fact that you have have been forgiven, that what Christ did was enough. Okay, are we good? I I just want to make sure that we grasp this, because here's the thing: you might not have ever heard this, but but God cares about what we do with our bodies. God cares about sex. And the third, the, the third response, to the question, why does a Christian live righteously and love sacrificially is because practicing sin flies in the face of loving a holy God. It makes absolutely no sense for us to, 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 pursue, to say we're pursuing a holy God and to live a life of, I don't even know if this is a word, unholiness. That's That's, that's illogical. There's a word that we don't use a lot, and it's this word, uh, propri- uh, 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 propri- uh, propriety, I can hardly say it. And, and I, I mean, it shows up from time to time, but we don't, we don't say it a lot. It, it's, it's just talking about uh, what, what is proper, what aligns with something. So for instance, if a person says that they're a vegan, and you see them eating a big old steak, they're a liar, they're trying to be cool and fit in with whatever they think is cool. I don't think it's cool to not eat steak. I think it's very cool to eat steak. I'm just telling you right now. If you're a vegan, I am not raining on your parade. I support you. I love you. In fact, let's go out to eat and you share your steak with me, and I'll give my, give you my salad. We'll we'll do it together. But no, I'm saying don't. You can't call yourself a vegan and eat meat. You you you've said you are something you're not. A police officer. If you see a police officer, you hear of a police officer that's taking bribes, that, that is, is doing something that's absolutely wrong, you're like, well, hold on a second. You took an oath to uphold the law. It, it, that makes no sense. I've talked to other officers. One of their biggest frustrations is with, a, with an officer that goes against everything that they swore to uphold. It makes absolutely no sense. It, it doesn't align with the name. And, and so what I'm getting ready to share what what Paul's saying is like, there are some things that don't align with taking on the name of God. And there are three terms that he uses here. I'm gonna really only get to one and we're gonna break the the rest down next week. These these, uh, three words or three terms or phrases, sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. Now, almost every place in in the New Testament where sexual immorality is mentioned, that Greek word that is translated sexual immorality, almost every single time, it refers to premarital sex. Almost every single time. And listen, we live in a day and age where we try out everything. You take cars for a test drive. They give samples at Costco. You buy something, you have a 30-day money back guarantee, you can return it. And it's like, well, why can't I try out sex? What if we're not what if we don't fit together? What if I don't like the other person? It's because we, we've got this jacked up understanding of what sex is really about. And we don't understand, and, and, and maybe today what I'm gonna share with you is brand new. We don't understand that sex wasn't man's creation, it was God's creation. We don't understand that, that sex has a holy purpose. And flat out, the church has messed it up when it comes to talking about sex. First of all, there's been this jacked up teaching of sex that makes it a shameful thing we should never, ever talk about. Shame's a terrible thing. And I'm gonna tell you right now, if you went into marriage thinking that sex is shameful, you probably have issues of intimacy in your marriage. And, and your parents were wrong, or whoever taught it's absolutely wrong. It's not biblical. I thought I'd get an amen there. They're like, no, no, <laughs> But another thing, we, we, we have the, this other thing. We've actually, the, the church even, just doesn't talk about it because it makes us feel uncomfortable. Dude, it's like having the talk with your kids. I've, I've had the talk with, with, with my kids and I've told them, I'm like, we're not gonna have this talk one time. We're embracing the, the you know, the sex talk. Not just once. we're gonna talk about it. Like my, my son, Trey, he's almost 21. Dude, when he, when he comes home, we still talk about this stuff. Listen, we can't avoid this. It's, it's, it's legit. If this really matters to God, why shouldn't we talk about it? Sex was intended to be a holy thing. In fact, you got to know that it's just not that God, God invented this. He talks about it a lot. There's an entire book of the Bible devoted to intimacy between a husband and a wife. People try to make it just be some spiritual analogy. No, it's talking about sex. And you're like, man, I got to get into the Bible more. I'm just telling you, it's there. And and we've just failed to teach if it's sacred meaning. But but, but here's the thing, God created this as a beautiful thing, but there are improper and proper desires. It's called lust. Like anytime there's a good thing, Satan will screw it up. And we've allowed Satan to take a good thing and pervert it. And listen, there is a perversion of this, but we can't say that sex is a bad thing. Sex in its proper context is amazing. I'm a fan, I'm just telling you right now, I'm a fan. Alright? And so we can't hide from this. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to hit this real quick. And you didn't think you'd ever hear a pastor say it. I'm just telling you, I'm keeping it real. I'm going to talk about this and then however far I get, I get. But, but, but I want to take you back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, it's God, God created Adam. He said, he looked at Adam said, it's not good for man to be alone. And here's the deal, by the way, he didn't, it wasn't that God was like, huh, I didn't see that coming. No, it was also that God wanted, wanted Adam to realize it wasn't good for him to be alone. And so, so what does he do? He puts him to sleep, puts on a NASCAR, <laughs> sitting back, sleeps, he creates Eve. Eve. And then we see, really, it's officiating the first marriage in, in chapter two. But but then, whoever's writing Genesis offers this commentary at a later time. This is after the fall and that sort of thing. But after we see God creating Eve and, and the whole thing of, of their t- the you know uh, conducts the marriage, you can read it there in Genesis two. He says in verse twenty four, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not. Ashamed. There's a beautiful thing that when we have been created for each other, and we embrace the gift that God's given us, there is no shame in that sort of thing. And so you got to understand that God gave us sex. sex was created to be a oneness of our bodies, that is accompanied by oneness in every single area. Intimacy is not just sexual. Now. What we see is when, like, when, he, when he's talking here in verse 24, he's talking about sexual intimacy. But, but, but from that comes, the, there's intimacy when it comes to, to finances, when it comes to emotional, uh, you know, the, the, the relational aspect. And literally, it, it's, it's, we just completely become part of the other person's life. And so, so w- w- when you have intimacy between a, between a husband and wife, it's, it's God's way for the husband to say to the wife non-verbally and for the, the wife to say to the husband non-verbally, I Belong completely and exclusively to you. It's this unitive act of commitment. Sex was given by God. And, and here's the thing. God knows what he's doing. He created it to be pleasurable. He's the one that created our bodies. We don't have to be scared of pleasure. That is not a bad thing. It's a bad thing when it's perverted and becomes self-centered. And really what God wants to to do is he wants to knock, he he wants to tear down this this false religion of of self-worship. Where we put our pleasure, we put ourselves at, 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 at the forefront. That the, he he wants to get rid of this where even when it comes to relationships, even the, the sexual part of this, where we make sex uh, uh, such a thing in which we view a person not as a person to whom we're committed, but as a commodity. We're getting something from them. And you're like, you're like, well, man, we, we live together, but 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 it's it's not that that big of a deal. We still love each other. Well, get married. I ain't getting amens there either. I, I'm just, and, and by the way, like, like if you are a believer, remember, I'm not talking to unbelievers. I'm talking to believers. Like if, if, that's, if that's something you're like, oh man, don't be judgmental. I'm not being judgmental. I, I literally, I'm doing you a disservice for us to act and for us to, 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 to believe something that, that it actually affects the whole way and say, no, that really doesn't matter. It matters. It matters. And that's why he says, I don't want this to be named among you. No, see, it's, it's actually given. There's an intimacy between a man and a woman that, as, as we looked at two weeks ago, symbolizes something great. In the Old Testament, God said, I'm the bridegroom, Israel's my bride. In Ephesians chapter 5, we, we see Christ referred to as the bridegroom. The church is his bride. You and I, as followers of Christ, are his bride. And there's going to come a day when we're going to enjoy a full intimacy in, in heaven. And I'm not saying that, that, that you know, <laughs> that it, the, the act of sex is, is given, you know, that there's some sexual act. Or people try to say all kinds of weird things when it comes to spiritual. That's not it at all. It, but it was given to us. As an example of the intimacy, there's going to be a day, there's a reason why there's not sex in heaven. And one of, one of those reasons is the intimacy that we have between us and, 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 and uh, Christ, it, we're, we're actually going to know what we can't know here. It's going to blow our minds. And, and so that's why we can't even wrap our mind, because one of the most intimate things that we know here is the sexual intimacy between a man and a woman. Now listen, sexual immorality is is a much bigger deal than, hey, we just made a decision, we're gonna live together and try this out. No, it matters to God. It's a desecration. And listen, I'm not trying, please listen to me. I'm not trying to cast stones, either if this was you before or if this is you now. I want you to understand what it means and what it looks like practically to live a holy life, to know what God has called you to. See, the reason why he says sexual immorality should not be named, it's not even proper is because it's a desecration of a holy gift, a holy symbol. What we're doing when, when, when we, we're just ha- ha- having sex and we're, we're actually taking this incredible gift that we've been given, we're taking this physical oneness from the other person without giving them the rest of ourselves. There's an order to relationships, to marriage, sex. And, and I'm gonna break this down in, in, in a later message, but can I tell you, husbands, that what it looks like for you in a, as a follower of Christ within a within a marriage, it requires that you're a holy that, that you are a holy godly man. Husbands, we, we got to get past the this this whole thing of being insecure because our wife knows more about the Bible than we do. There's one way to fix that. Get into the Word. Follow Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Embrace the calling that we've been given. One of the most incredible things you will do for your wife is not just having sex with her. You're like, no, that's what it is. No, it's not. It's going to be when you lead her for Jesus and you pray with her and you fulfill the responsibility that God's, that God's given you as priest of your house. Didn't get any amens there either. Man. A godly man is someone who follows Jesus with all his heart, who has a radical love. A man that's not perfect, but he's just following Jesus. He doesn't have it all figured out, but, but, but he'll, he'll take care of, of money. He'll work. He'll esteem women. Sexual sin, a godly guy's gonna fight through it. An ungodly man's gonna give into it. But can I tell you, wives, that what God's called you to be in a godly marriage is a godly woman? A woman that, that, that doesn't need to marry a prince charming and a guy that's gonna be her savior. You have a savior. He died on the cross for you 2,000 years ago. Stop putting on your husbands a weight that there's no way they can possibly carry. Good. A, a godly woman who's not lazy, doesn't spend her time pouting, doesn't manipulate. Ooh, cool breeze just blew through here. Um, uh, no, a holy marriage, a godly marriage, is a godly husband, a godly wife. It's a covenant. It's not a contract that we can walk away from. And by the way, listen. If you are divorced. I know that you have regrets. Even if, you, even if the, the, the divorce is one that you had to get out of an abusive situation, if the divorce, if, if the divorce was one and there's, there's just gross immorality, gross sin, I, listen, I get that. But what I know is that that divorce leaves marks, right? There are... There are regrets. There are things we go back to. And, and Satan wants to, to take us back and, and we're like, uh, oh man, I, I failed in this and I missed out on this. How could God still use me? I guess I'm a second class citizen. No, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. God's grace can heal. And if God forgives you, you can forgive yourself. Move forward in the fact that I mean, you have been changed. You're not who you used to be. But it takes, but, but, but I can tell you a marriage is not a, it's not a contract that we can walk away from. It's, it's, it's a covenant based on God's covenant that he gave to us. I'm running out of time. Okay, sex. Can I tell you there's such a thing as holy sex? It's between a godly man, a godly woman, and a godly marriage. And you're like, well, what if I'm not, if I'm, if I'm married to an unbeliever? What I love is the way Peter explains this. He says, the believing spouse makes the other one holy, not in the fact that they're actually saved, but there's actually this beautiful covering that God gives even in that. But if sex goes before marriage, it just cancels out the godly in the man or the woman, flat out. And so I, so I wanna say this carefully. If you are here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe you just recently started following Christ. Listen to me, it is impossible for you to pursue sexual sin and pursue Jesus at the same time. And, 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 and I, I say this to you, I, I, man, I would love to sit down and we, we, man, we talk more about this, because I, I get it, it's a, it's, a, it's a struggle. Like, what do I do, what are the implications of this? Man, let's, let's, let's talk through this. All I know is that what Christ has for you is greater than you can imagine. And, and really what, what, what Paul is saying here, he's talking to people that this is just what they know. The, the reason he's given them instruction is not to criticize or judge or, or anything like that. that it just, that's not my purpose either as I'm, as I'm sharing. No, his purpose is I just want you to know what this looks like. He, and, and what we know, I mean, God's not saying, I'm gonna give you intimacy, I'm gonna give you love, I'm gonna give you everything that, that I have. And, and by the way, you can just do whatever you want. You can still be at the center of your life. No. No, we get that it makes sense that he should make some claims on us. If we're the bride of Christ... There are some claims. We should live faithfully. We should live righteously. We should love sacrificially. Not because we've got to prove anything, but it's because of what he has done, because we have a standard to imitate. We, we, have, we, we, we have a God, a Father, who is, who is a holy God. We, we have what he's given. No, no, really, what? Well, we just come to this place, and, and it's not going to be the last time you come to this place where we say, okay, I, I will be part of God's holy people. I will count the costs. I don't completely understand this. I, 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 I don't get it totally. And that's just part of what he does. He, we grow in this knowledge, but we also grow in the practical application. But we're just like, no, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say no to these things just because this is what God's called me to do. I'm not gonna do this to, to feel more holy or to look down my nose at other people. No, this is, I, I just wanna be like Christ. I wanna be who he's called me to be. And so the question is this, church, are we ready and willing to take on the whole Christian faith? Because I'm gonna tell you, if, if we're not, man, the next three weeks are gonna be brutal. <laughs> I'm just telling you, dude, we're getting ready to look at stuff within marriages and relationships. Lord, I think I'm gonna come in with sunglasses and what I'm gonna do when I get to a tough passage, I'm gonna put on sunglasses so you don't have to see my eyes. I'm just telling you, man, it's gonna, it, it, we're, we're just, we're going to dive in. But I'm here to tell you, man, the only way to follow Christ he said this, he said, deny yourself daily, pick up your cross and follow me. But can I tell you that every time we, we, we deny ourselves and say no, God has a million yeses coming our way. He is for us, he is with us, and his plans and his purposes are far greater than we could ever imagine. And so God, may we grasp this, may we respond to this, may we honor you with our bodies, may we honor you with our minds, may we honor you with our walk. Lord, may we not just be uh, known for right belief, may we, known, may we be known as, as, as your people who are walking you, who are living righteously, loving sacrificially, and doing so not so they can look down the nose at everybody else, but, but, but who can just be humble and say, man, this is not who I am. It is the spirit of Christ that's working in me. So transform our relationships, our friendships, our dating relationships, our marriages in every way to God, may our faith impact our life. And for what you're gonna do in us and through us, we'll thank you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. See you tonight. Next step's three, five o'clock.